Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. My posture today is I'm going to speak into some things, but I want you to understand you will hear from me very strong statements because that's the grace of an evangelist. (laughs) But they are postured from sonship, not slave or servant. Galatians 4, chapter uh, chapter 4, verse 4 and 7 says that we have been adopted as sons and daughters into his kingdom and we're an heir with him. So our posture is never from a place of master-servant or master and slave, it's postured from the position of son and daughter in Christ. Okay, that will help frame up what we're going to talk about today. But you'll need to go into the depths of the message that I shared in September to to get the fullness of that. Um, Can I also just encourage you that um, when we launch Sharing Jesus Confidently on the 11th of September as a global message on the 11th of September, we actually launched a podcast and a video podcast to go with it. Now, I don't know if you've seen it or heard of it, but can I just encourage you, jump on YouTube, jump on Spotify, whatever it is your listening platform, and check out the podcast. Because everything I'm sharing, I I cannot download to you in one message the fullness of what God actually wants to do in this space for you as a church. It's not possible in a half-hour message. But what we've done is I've taken conversations with different guests and different people, and we've started to to unpack how do you share Jesus confidently? I, I even wrote a course, how do you share Jesus confidently, which hopefully you're all working through that in some way, form or shape. But it, it's something that will help frame up evangelism tailored specific for you. Because the Bible says that we're all called to go and make disciples, that we're all called to go and to preach the good news of the gospel. Not the professionals, not the elite, not the pastors, not the senior. No, 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 believers. So if you're a believer here, our role and responsibility is to preach the good news of the gospel. Okay, so that is kind of a framing up. Okay, so for those who don't know me, um, I, I am very passionate about the kingdom of God. I'm very passionate about seeing people meet Jesus. For me, I had a life-changing experience at the age of five, changed my life. I encountered Jesus for myself and realized that there was a absolute burden in his heart for people to know him. And that, that, that particular experience changed my life to the point where I am where I am today and I'm doing what I'm doing today because of that moment then, because he revealed himself to me. And he revealed himself to me in such a way that he was my savior, but he was also hungry to seek and to save the lost. And, and that became very real to me. And so that led me to where I am today. And um, I, I want to come at this passage today around the idea of how to turn your world upside down. Because that's literally what happened to me at the age of five is that Jesus interrupted my sleep through a dream I encountered him, realized that everybody needed to know him and it turned my whole world upside down. And from that point, you could not shut me up from preaching the good news of the gospel to people. Now, hear me, five years of age, I didn't know that Jesus came, lived, died and rose again. I didn't know there was such thing as a baptism of the Holy Spirit. I didn't know the theology of generations, generations, Genesis through the revelations. 
I didn't know any of that. All I knew is, is that Jesus was real. He loved mankind and we needed to know him. And that's all I shared. I literally walked around and was like, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? You need to know him. He, he, know, he loves you. He wants you to know him. Do you know Jesus? You need to know him. And literally this became my mandate at the age of five. When I was 16, I, I, I read a book and it had a statement in there from a man named um, John Hyde. And uh, he, he wrote this statement and it was, it's been used by many revivalists since, but it was, it was this statement. It was, um, give me souls or I die. Give me souls or I die. And, and I, then I heard it through a Smith Wigglesbrook book. And I was like, oh my gosh, I am literally, this is, this is my prayer. And this was a posture of my life as a teenager as I continued on in this space, but literally God got a hold of me, put a craving on the inside of me for souls, and it changed everything about my life. The thing about that passage, the thing about that statement is it actually comes from a passage of scripture in Gen Gen oh, wow. Genesis chapter 30, verse 1. It's where um, uh, Rachel is crying out to God and says, give me children or I die. And literally, I'm telling you now that this, for me, it is not a job. This, for me, is um, it's not an obligation. It's, 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 it's nothing purely than I have an urgency in my spirit about the fact that people need to know Jesus. And I believe that God wants that to be everybody's urgency. Um, I, I will share with you, um, uh, for those who were listening to the um, message the last time I shared about my nephew in that story. And I shared about how my nephew is far away from God and I'm interceding and praying for him. And uh, I literally just got a text message on the way here to this service tonight. Um, I got a message. Let's rewind. I got a message on the plane as I was coming over to say that my nan was passing away. And uh, she's a dear old woman, 96 years old. She looks like the queen. She walks like the queen. She talks like the queen. She practically is the queen. Um, she loves Jesus with all of her heart. And uh, I spent a year of my life living with her and my auntie and uncle in a transition season between my parents selling houses. Long story short, but short story, well, it's going to get longer. <laughs> The short story is that she was profound in my life and she impacted me so, to such a great degree. Uh, I woke up every morning to see her and my past sitting at their little armchairs reading Billy Graham's day by day, reading their Bibles and spending time in worship before the Lord. My nan praying her little heart out for way longer than my pa could handle and he'd not off. But my nan was was a pivotal part of sowing into my life and sharing with me who Jesus was. And I, I just got this text message on the way in here, uh, on the plane, sorry. She, got, she had a brain bleed and I got told that she was passing away and that she was going and she couldn't get the words out. The brain bleed had started to affect her speech. She couldn't get any words out. And I jumped off the plane. I, first thing I did was call them, call my mum, and I sat there and I talked with my nan face to face. She couldn't talk to me, but I talked to her. And two, three words that she could get out, Jesus, my Savior, Jesus, my Lord. I love my Jesus. I'm going to be with my Jesus. And it just wrecked me. And then crazy turn of events, brain bleed about to die. I text all my friends and family and they start putting out prayers, praying that the blade, brain bleed would turn around. And um, 
literally got a text message just before my nan woke up this morning, got out of bed, jumping and praising the Lord, speaking fluently and telling everybody that she'd been healed. Um, <laughs> doctors are like, yeah, look, we know this happens, you know, they, they, they go down and then they come back up and then they go down for the almighty down, but literally told that she was going to die the night before. And, um, I'm hoping that when I get back to Melbourne tomorrow morning, that literally I'll be able to go and see her. Um, because if this is her sayonara, what a sayonara out. <laughs> she got her speech back. She was I, the only thing she wanted to do was to proclaim Jesus wow. to the nurses, to the staff, to everybody. And then my mum blew it up with me before, and she's like, "And you won't believe it, your sister and Josiah, your nephew, went to see him to say goodbye to Nan." And Nan's in there just like going at it. Mate, my 97-year-old Nan is about this high now. And she's like going at my nephew and giving him the gospel message and telling him that he needs to give his life to Jesus. He needs to get right. And she went after it. That kid is like far away from Jesus right now. Except for an encounter an hour ago. We're literally... He, he, he has chose, it must have been yesterday that it happened because literally he chose not to go out. Something has so shifted in him, he chose not to go out on a Saturday night with his mates and go and do what the usual thing was for him to do. And it, it, just, it just wrecked me. And I was like, God, it let me be, that be my dying day, that the only thing that comes out of my mouth at the end of my time here on earth is do you know Jesus? You need to know him. And that's literally what my nana is doing right now. And it's it, it literally, these things turn your life upside down when you actually get a full revelation of not just Jesus as savior, but Jesus as Lord and savior. And you posture yourself as a servant because we serve him, but not from a posture of a slave. We serve him as a posture as a son or a daughter. And Paul says, I make myself a servant. He understood sonship, but he made himself a servant. And if I could live out my dying day serving the Lord Jesus and bringing glory to his name and seeing other people come to know him, that's all that matters. This life is but a blip. There is nothing else left. And simply, I want my life not only turned upside down by him and who he is and his goodness towards me, but I want to turn the lives of those around me upside down. So I say all of that to bring you to this point. We're going to go to Acts chapter 17, where we look at the lives of a whole community that gets turned upside down. And some might say right side up. We are living in a world that desperately needs to be turned right side up, upside down. And I believe that this passage today is going to liberate a few of you. And I believe that it's going to help you understand your part to play in sharing this good news of the gospel. Cool. All right, 17 verse 1, let's do this. It says, now when they had passed through Amphilios and Apollyana, you have to forgive my translation, not really good with the English, but simply this is Paul and Silas who are on mission. And they came to Thessalonica and there was a synagogue there of Jews and Paul went in as was the custom. Can I just say this? Custom. The word custom here means habit. 
They were in the habit of going to church. Can I just say this for every parent out there? If you want a generation to love and serve the Lord the rest of their days, don't let church be optional. If you treat church as optional, your kids will treat church and God like he's completely irrelevant. Make the custom and the habit to be in church. On the third, uh, on the three, he was there for three Sabbath days and he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus who I'm proclaimed to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas and did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. Basically confusing sentence, but means lots of people and people of influence. But the Jews were jealous and taking some men of the rabble, they formed a mob. You know, you've done your job when you're preaching the gospel and there's a mob at you. They set the city in an uproar and they attacked the house of Jason. Everyone say Jason. And seeking to bring them out into the crowd. And they went, uh, and when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar saying that there is another king, King Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Short story of that part is that basically they got to Jason's place expecting to find Paul and Silas. They didn't find them. So they took them. Then they couldn't keep them. So they took their money and their security and basically then released them and just said, don't cause a ruckus. You know, the beautiful thing about this passage of scripture is that there were two people walking together that joined together with others, Jason and a few brothers. So I'm going to guess that there's maybe 10, maybe 12 people together in this situation as an approximation and they're doing the 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 will of the father in bringing the gospel to the 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 town of Thessalonica now I paint this as a very clear picture for you we will come back to it later but in first Thessalonians chapter one this is the church that Paul writes to and talks about so this moment where they walked into a town and shared the gospel some believed some didn't and some mocked and some like took them and wanted to lock them up and it turned the whole city upside down when we preach the gospel some are going to love it some are going to hate it some are going to be like yeah that's your thing what's important is the delivery of the gospel conviction is not up to you and i it's up to the holy spirit but the delivery of the gospel is the responsibility of you and i as believers now they walk into thessalonica and start preaching this good news and everything gets turned upside down and I started to ask God, how do we turn our world upside down when we live in an upside down world? And he said, it's up to the people of God to turn it right side up. And I sat back and I thought, okay, show me how. And he took me through this passage and started to highlight a number of things. But firstly, can I say this overarching summary? In order for Christians to turn a world upside down, to preach the gospel, for people to be saved and communities to be transformed as a part of the gospel being preached, it will require believers to actually engage. Believers have to proclaim the gospel. That's, that's the whole thing. 
when we come to Jesus and come to life in him, we don't just accept him for his benefits of being savior. We have to accept him for everything he has entrusted to us, which is the good news. First Thessalonians chapter two, verse four says that we have been entrusted, Paul says, this gospel. We have a responsibility to steward that which he has given to us and to share it with others. And as believers, we don't get a choice about whether that's something we want to engage in or not. We actually are called to, we're, we're required to, not because he's a master, but because he's a father and because we're sons and daughters, we align ourselves with the father's business and what's important to him is important to us. Now, in this passage, it's really key to recognize that what they did was not only engage in sharing the gospel, but they engaged in their culture. They went into a town that had no established church and literally Paul and Silas and their proclamation of the gospel along with the brothers turned a city upside down that left the church that is there and we find it in 1 Thessalonians. And so what happened was a community, a city got turned the right way up and I want to suggest to you today that God can use you to do the same thing here today the southern parts of Perth right now need a move of the spirit of God they need the gospel message to be proclaimed we are living in a time where, where there, there are less Christians than there is with our population growth in the percentage to keep up and the reason there are less Christians is because Christians actually aren't doing their job because as the population grows, if we're sharing our faith, so should our church and our, and our growth of salvation grow. But if we're not taking our responsibility seriously, we're missing it and therefore the population of Christians diminishes. And what God does, and he's just, I, 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 I don't fully understand it, but what God does in how he does get the church to be activated, often it takes persecution. He persecutes the church to scatter the church, to push the church out and for them to proclaim the good news of the gospel. Can I ask you a question? I had to ask myself this question, a really convicting question. If I was arrested like Jason and the brothers for preaching the good news of the gospel along with Paul and Silas, would there be enough evidence to convict me for being a Christian? What defines you as being a believer and a follower of Jesus? Would there be enough evidence to convict us of these things? I'm confronted by that because I, like you, drove past about probably 200 cars to get here today. And there's a whole bunch of unbelievers driving past me straight off the cliff to hell. I, like you, went to a cafe today and had some food and had some lunch, had a cap, you know, maybe went to a cafe, maybe hung out at home. But there are people we passed today that don't know Jesus. And I, that weight that we're to feel is not the burden of obligation, but it's the burden for souls that Jesus actually wants his church to be about the business of making disciples. And discipleship is not something that happens post-Christ. Discipleship happens pre-Christ to full maturity. When we're sharing our faith with people, we're simply bringing an awareness of who Jesus is or who God is. And if they have one awareness that there's a God who exists, they're one step closer. And if they're one step closer, they're closer to full maturity in Christ. 
And so we have this responsibility to make disciples. And when I see what Paul and Silas did, they traveled and it was as they passed through. Where are you passing through? Where are you passing through? Because it was on their way that these things unfolded. I'm going to take you through four observations in this passage of scripture that I believe that we can apply to our lives as believers that actually bring us into a space where we engage our culture and we bring the good news. Verse two says this, Paul went in as was his custom in three days. He reasoned with them. Now reasoned actually means to dialogue with somebody, to answer the questions that people are asking. Can I suggest to you today that conversations open up the hearts of unbelievers? Effective effective evangelism is more about relationship than it is about preaching. Effective evangelism is more about the relationship that you have the opportunity to have conversations than it is about preaching. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, that we're, we're to always be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. If someone asked you today down the street, why Jesus, what would you say? Because these are some of the things that we need to contemplate. Because when we have an understanding and awareness, all of a sudden it comes. Now, some of you will literally be able to do this and do it really well. And some of you will, will have a go at it and be like, wow, I actually don't know enough about my stuff. I need to craft it. And some of you will be like, oh, I can't handle. It's too much. And you're like, oh, I, I, I think I'm, I'm out. I'm all for the Jesus part of coming to church, loving community, but that whole sharing thing, see ya. Because I'm telling you this right now, sharing Jesus confidently is not about a personality. It's not about being an extrovert or an introvert. It's not about the loudest person in the room. Being a Christian and a believer and following Jesus and being a fisher of men is literally about the DNA of the Father being in you to bring out of you, what out of people, what is required to usher in the good news of Jesus. Now, what they do with it is not up to you. You are not responsible for the outcome, but you are responsible to proclaim. And so they need to know their options. I was talking to someone who, um, actually, no, sorry, I was reading a book from somebody who said they were waiting for the gospel to come to the area of China and because China's quite shut down, communist state, and, uh, and they were waiting and literally a a father had just lost his father through death and through sickness and illness and the gospel came and literally he got radically saved but he said why didn't you come earlier my father could have been saved i'm sharing these things with you because there needs to be a sense of urgency that captures our hearts there needs to be a sense of a weight of a burden for souls not the burden of obligation but the burden for souls on our hearts and our lives. Because then when we're having conversations with people, we're literally engaging in culture and spaces in which God wants to bring intersections into our worlds and our lives and bring about change. See, when you bring people into an environment, I'm going to say it like this. If you answer the questions that people are asking, people will listen. 
if you're out there trying to slam the gospel message down someone's throat with a Bible and do it in a really awkward, odd way, that's actually not helpful. It actually needs to come from a place of answering the questions that people are asking. So when Paul went into this place, he reasoned with them and he conversed with them, answering the questions that they were asking and unpacking the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And this is the second thing that I see is following on from that. It says that he reasoned with them from the scriptures and explaining them. Now, listen, scripture speaks. You don't have to scripture and verse it, but you've got to know it to be able to rehearse it and to present it for it to be received. It doesn't have to be quoted scripture and verse, but it's brought out in the principles of life. Let me put it to you like this. When you get your friends together, as an example, get six of your saved friends. No. Yes, six of your saved friends to come over for a barbecue and bring along three of your unsaved friends into that environment. And you watch as they begin to sit around and have conversation and talk of of things that begin to unfold, how many people will actually engage in a conversation and be, man, like your friends, they're they're so wise. Where do they, you know, where do they get that from? Well, actually, your friends, they're just so kind. I mean, they're just so generous. And all of a sudden, the influence of our culture invades the culture of the world we're living in. And next thing you know, over a period of time, there is an openness to converse about the things of God. And as a part of the conversation, it then leads to a point in which at some way, form or shape, there's an opportunity to invite them them to their next step. What is their next step? It might be to, a, to another group thing. It might be to something else. It might be to an event. It might be to something where they can continue to meet and engage with, with believers in the context of your friends and your unsaved friends and bringing those two things together. It's a beautiful picture of how God works in these spaces. Because that's what this was. When Paul and Silas did this, they weren't solo. They didn't walk down the street and just find a stranger and try and have a conversation with them. They went to where the people were at. They engaged with some other brothers and there were unbelievers in their midst and in their gathering. And so they begin to proclaim as a result, answering the questions that they're asking. And then it turns a whole city upside down. It's actually not that complicated. Now you can't change the whole world, but you can change the world of one person. Who's the one person in your world right now that you know that is not following Jesus or doesn't even know Jesus. And maybe you've got more than one. I, I, I would hope so. Because if not, I would encourage them to find community where the unbelievers are. <laughs> we need to be in a place where we influence the culture that we're in. Okay, the second thing with that explaining the scriptures is that literally scriptures shared provide a way for truth to be revealed. Um. When people hear the wisdom of God, they ask questions and it provides a way for scriptures to be shared and to, to, to speak to the things that need to be spoken to that actually connect with them and connect them to the Bible. It's a part of a pre-discipleship process. Now, listen, it's our responsibility to get God's word to their ears. Only the Holy Spirit can get it from their head to their heart or from their ears to their heart. But our responsibility is that we would gather together with people, we'd converse, we'd explain some of the scriptures, we'd start to have the conversations. And as a result, 
we would start to see an influence of culture. Now, the third thing is this in verse three, it says, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this is the Jesus I proclaim to you, the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a many of the great devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. See, Paul's life proved that Jesus' power worked and was at work. So when Paul starts to begin to, to have conversation with people, he begins to explain a few things to people. Then it comes back to this place where Paul says, my life has changed because of my encounter on the road to Emmaus. So, so your story intersects with their world. And we get to present our lives as proof or evidence thereof the good news of Jesus. And the Bible says that literally to be a witness is to bring evidence of what you've seen and what you've heard. The Bible says that he will give you power to become a witness. And this power is available to you and I to be able to be carriers of this in our conversations. I love it how Paul, he was always, is always very, very focused on the fact that it's not about wise and persuasive words, but it was about a demonstration of the Spirit's power. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 talks about this, where he says, I did not come to you with high, lofty speeches. I did not come to you with wise and persuasive words, but I came to you with a demonstration of power. And this is the power that God wants to unlock in your life. It's not just about what you say. It's about the testimony of God's work in your life, the power of God's work in your life, the transformation that's happened to you. And see, the thing is, you don't have to be worried about when they ask you for evidence. You ever like had someone be like, prove it, prove it. I had a teacher pull me up in class, literally, year nine, in a class, a history class, and the teacher pulled me up and asked me a whole bunch of questions about my faith. And in that moment, you know, like you've all been there and you're like, oh, no, no, um, and I did my best to answer them to the best of my ability. And some of them I had come back to him and said, I actually don't know the answer to that, but I'm going to go and find the answer to that because I want to prove you wrong because you're an atheist. I'm going to get you. Um, but I literally was like, I'll come back to you. I'll come back to you. I went back to him and had the conversation with him around those answers that I found. And it was pivotal in changing my whole faith. Let me help you understand this because I was no longer just a believer because of an experience, but I was a believer because I started to understand the things of the word of God and scripture. And when there was questions answered, I had to go find an answer. When questions were asked, I had to go find an answer. And as a result, it changed my faith. Not in a negative way, in a positive way, because I was more equipped to be able to answer the questions that people were asking. See, when you get persecuted, when you get questioned, or when people start to engage in things you don't know, it's not a bad sign. It's literally an entry point to be able to come back with conversation and answers and be able to have those conversations that need to be had. And the beauty of it is that God uses all things. And uh, Charles Spurgeon says this, he said, let eloquence be filling to the dogs rather than souls be lost. What we want is to win souls. They are not they are not lined by flowery speeches. They are not won by flowery speeches. And I can only imagine that Charles Spurgeon, who was writing these things, was reading through Paul and understanding we actually need to, to forget about trying to have it perfect. 
and actually trust that God is wanting to use us in these spaces and our life is pure evidence thereof. Fourth thing, let's check this out. It says in verse three, again, it says it was proving necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying this Jesus who I proclaim to you is the Christ. They announced the good news. They announced the gospel. They announced his death, his burial, his resurrection. And I promise you this, that the beautiful part of this is that's what turned the city upside down. God is looking for us as believers to proclaim, to actually allow those things to come out of my mouth. Uh, I'll tell you this story because it was quite entertaining, but um, we've got these uh, Why Jesus t-shirts that we use for our new Christians team at Numa. And we use them as a part of our service to engage with people who make a decision or response in church. And when we go and have a conversation with them, the whole thing is like, if anyone has any questions around why Jesus, we can actually answer those questions. And so we have that set up and, and some of the people come back and, oh, no, I was just yawning. just having a stretch. You know, like it's funny as the conversations you have with people, um, but majority of them are coming to faith in Christ, which is awesome. But we decided to start to wear these T-shirts out the street and down to the supermarket. And I love it because it says on the back of it, it says, ask me why Jesus. And as I unpack with people, why Jesus, it's, it's, it's a launch pad for a conversation. You know, the easiest thing, the easiest answer is because he loves you. Then they ask you a question. Well, how do you know? Oh, let me tell you. <laughs> and it provokes a conversation that actually leads to someone being more informed, which means you've done your job because all you're required to do is deliver the good news and they're one step closer. Now, if you get the benefit of reaping someone's salvation, it's a blessing. Once you've done it once, you'll be set on fire. You want to tell everyone. It's the best experience ever. But honestly, right in this space, when we get to share Jesus confidently like this, it changes everything. So one day I was walking through a supermarket at, uh, in Melbourne, a particular shopping complex close to our church, and um, I was one AirPod in listening to a podcast, doing my grocery shopping. And I noticed there was a couple of people around me. So I put my trolley over the side and then went back over to, to grab a few things, just made sure it wasn't getting in anyone's way. And uh, this guy just saw the back of my T-shirt and my jumper, sorry. And he, I could hear him. He didn't think I could hear him because I had an AirPod in. And so he was like, what, Jesus? And he was like full muttering under his breath. And, uh, and, and as I bent down to pick something up, he then went into a tire. Like he was like, why are you wearing that jumper for? You know, you, you give me walking around. You don't care. You walk around cutting in front of people and blah, 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 blah. And he just hounded. Like, I just was like lock, stock and barrel. I was like, <laughs> I was like, have a nice day. Jesus loves you. <laughs> and I could still hear him down at the cash registers hollering, absolutely hiring i'll tell you why jesus like he was losing his nana you know the best part was he had one more level of awareness i'm not responsible for the outcome i'm only responsible to deliver the good news and the good news is that jesus loves him best simple answer you can get anyone want to jump us send me later i'll hook you up um <laughs> It'll bless you. Um, you'll have stories to tell. Um, okay, let's finish with this. Charles Spurgeon says this, if you have no wish for others to be saved, then you're not saved yourself. Be sure of that. 
very cutting words, but ever so true. I had an interview conversation with Father Rob Gallier, who is a Catholic priest, who is a spirit-filled baptized priest, who is an absolute boss. And I knew him through his time and ministry in a particular town that we were both living in and working in. And uh, he, he, he said this in his interview about talking about the love of Jesus. He has opportunity to praise and worship God in schools and to write and sing songs. And he's very gifted. And he, he does all these things to be able to present the gospel message of Jesus. And the lady was asking him about his his why. Why do you need to? And he unpacks that if you know Jesus it comes out of you. And he said this, he goes, if, if your Jesus experience is only personal, then I question that experience. And these are some confronting things. Hey, like, because each of us have experienced the love of the father. And I, I encourage you to go back to the moment you did get saved. Cause when you did get saved, you couldn't shut up. You want to tell everyone about what had happened. Something changed on the inside of you. Something shifted. Something moved. But somewhere, somehow, we lose it and we make it personal and not public. Can I encourage you today? Be like my grandma. Don't lose the urgency. Don't lose the urgency of that gospel message needing to get out. Don't lose it. It's so significant for people to know Jesus and it's how we turn our world upside down. John Stott says this, to evangelize does not mean to win converts, but to simply to announce the good news irrespective of the results. The good news is this, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We've all sinned, we've all fallen short, but he is the gift that keeps giving. And when he can keep giving that to me, I have to share that with others. Let me break it down to you with this as a final point. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 through to 10, tell the story of the Thessalonian, Thessalonian, Thessalonian church. I'm going to turn to it. You're going to see it on the screens. It says this, we give thanks. This is Paul. We give thanks to God always for all of you consistently, mentioning you in our prayers, remembering you before our God and Father, the work of your faith, the labor of your love, the steadfast of your hope in the Lord Jesus. For we know, brothers, that loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, hello, not only in word, the spoken word, but also in power in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction of the Holy Spirit, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction and with joy. The affliction was being persecuted. The affliction was being hunted down, but they received it with great joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. It went beyond Thessalonica. It went to other towns and other cities. They followed the example of Paul and Silas. They imitated them. They became an example to all 
in the way that they lived out their faith. And then check this out. It says in verse 8, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not to say anything. Did you just catch that? They understood when Paul and Silas shared the gospel with them that that was now their mandate to carry. They took on responsibility. They imitated them and Jesus and walked in their example and shared their faith so much so that Paul, the greatest apostle, did not have to open his mouth in two cities to preach the gospel because they had already done it. Because they had already done it. My love is this, in verse 9 it says this, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception that we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. They had shared their story about how they had turned from idols to the living and true God. And verse 10, finally this, and they waited for his son from heaven for whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come and to wait for his son they waited for the return of jesus i'm not going to get up here and tell you fire and brimstone the lord's returning and you need to turn or burn like but i'm telling you this we're living in the end times we're living in a season where the signs of the world are showing us that that's coming and the question is are you ready for his return greater yet are your friends and family ready for his return? Because it matters. He desires all would know him. And I honestly believe that right here, right now, in this church are the people who are called to turn Perth upside down. I believe that you're called to turn Perth upside down. Why don't you stand with me as we finish? God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for poking and provoking us today in such a manner that we're uncomfortable. Lord, I pray that that would shift us to a place where we'd realise the responsibility that we have to share this good news and that we would take it and run with it just like the Thessalonican church did after Paul and Silas came. I pray, Holy Spirit, that there are believers in here that would let that word so penetrate their heart and that they would not put it to the back burner and be like, let's get on with the other stuff so it's me for and no more and let me have my holy huddle. But, Lord, that it would be focused on bringing others in to experience the goodness and grace and the mercy of a holy, holy God. God, I thank you right now, even in this moment, your presence is so tangible and so thick here. And that, God, there are people here today in this space and place, God who desire to see friends and family 
saved, to see the community turned upside down. I thank you for a church that exists not simply to, to be for itself, but to be on advancement for the kingdom of God yes. and for the purposes of God. I yes. thank you for a church that says mm. as a value that discipleship is not optional. I thank you, God, for a church that says love gives generously. So therefore, I will love people with everything I have and I will serve and love God and I will bring them into a space where they can hear about him. I thank you, God, that we're in a church, that God's word is our foundation. And so that every word that has been spoken today, as it penetrates our heart, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you allow the word to sink deep into our hearts and bear much fruit? And God, I thank you right now. The place that we start is the place of prayer. Lord, where we say, God, if you can use me, then use me. Holy Spirit, if you can turn a world upside down, could you come and turn mine upside down? And God, I pray right now that there'd be people in this room that until their dying day would find opportunity to preach and proclaim the good news. That, Lord, there would be such a passion and urgency and a desire to tell people of your love. That, God, it would be such a part of the DNA of who we are because we are your children and we carry your DNA. We are sons of the most high God. And God, I thank you that as a part of that, we, in having your DNA, that you have inbuilt in us a desire for these things. And Lord, for some of us, we had that when we first got saved. For some of us, we've lost it and it waned over time. But God, I'm praying right now, would you spark a revival of that which you started in us? Revive our first love for you. Revive our hearts. Revive us, oh God, that, Lord, the city may rejoice because believers are walking as believers and not fans but followers. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life, and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.